0: Hello, my name is Claire Heffron and welcome to this week's episode of the Geneva Centre for Security Policy podcast on the latest issues, advancing peace, security and international cooperation. In recent years, the world has witnessed violent extremism and terrorism that has taken the lives of many innocent people. Violent extremism is a result of historical, political, economic and social circumstances. We discuss the challenges ahead with Emily Winterbotham, director of the Terrorism and Conflict Group, and a senior research fellow at the Royal United Services Institute for Defence and Security Studies on effective PCVE strategies and interventions. And today's military is an integral part of maintaining global peace and security in our current world. We spoke to a former NATO commander of Allied Joint Force Coman Brussmann, General Hans Lothar Domrose, One of the biggest challenges in today's society is controlling violent extremism and radicalisation that leads to terrorism. We discussed the latest issues with Emily Winterbotham, who's a director at the Terrorism and Conflict Group. Firstly, what's an example of an effective PCVE strategy and intervention?
1: The first thing to point out is that the evidence itself in the field is very, very weak. Um, this isn't, kind of, tends to be because there are conceptual challenges, methodological challenges, operational challenges. So for example, everyone talks about the attribution problem. And that's basically saying, how can we prove that something's working if the evidence for something working is that something hasn't happened? So you're trying to prove a negative. There are also challenges in terms of monitoring and evaluation, how costly they can be. We know that CVE projects in particular tend to be very, very small um, and sometimes very short term. And so it can be hard to integrate um, kind of complex monitoring and evaluation systems into them. So we end up in a kind of situation where we're kind of going, well, what works and what doesn't? Now, I think a convincing way to go around this is to define the problem of violent extremism in a particular area, to be able to identify the particular factors that are contributing to violent extremism, the at-risk groups and their particular vulnerabilities, and to then design interventions around those risk factors. And if you can prove that you're impacting on certain behavioural, attitudinal, knowledge-based gains or changes, You have what we would call a good contribution story to say, even though you might not be able to prove the impact, so you might not be able to see violent extremism decreasing, you have a good contribution story to say, but what we're doing should hopefully have some impact, even if it can't be seen.
0: And what evidence is one looking at in order to determine effectiveness?
1: Rusi has been working on what we've called the evidence base for PCVE over the last two years. So we've gathered masses of documents that we can find, everything from peer-reviewed material to evaluations and to grey literature. And from that, what we've tried to explore is what's working and brackets, what's not, um, in relation to different types of interventions. From that, I think what we can kind of confidently say, despite the rigour that I think exists uh, in terms of evaluations themselves, um, context is the most important. So if you can define, as I said earlier, the problem of violent extremism and you can um, design an intervention that matches that problem and matches the individuals or the groups of individuals that are affected by the problem of violent extremism, you have a better chance of success. Now that means that we should tend to promote integrated responses. So not just a kind of one-off communications approach, but actually, um, for example, a mentorship approach that would address the socio-economic, the ideological, the pragmatic factors that may be behind an individual joining a violent extremist group. We've got examples of kind of where that I think has been working slightly better. So at Rusi we have something called preventive communications, and that basically takes the uh, kind of turns the concept of communications on its head and it makes the individuals who have been identified to be vulnerable to radicalization agents of their own communication um, campaigns and so in doing so they create positive news stories um, you know particularly around youth Um, we've done this in Kenya where youth are often seen as They're often marginalised or they're often talked down about. Um, So it's engaging with young people, particularly in poor um, areas which are affected by violent extremism, and getting them to tell their stories. And the process of telling their stories not only generates really interesting and engaging content for other young people, but it also teaches them skills about how to do communications, which are commercial skills that they can then take on elsewhere, um, and at the same time, they feel that they've been listened to, which is part of the battle in and of itself.
0: What are the key indicators that determine an act of violent extremism? So in programmes I've looked at in Indonesia and Bangladesh,
1: actually funded by UN Women, have, and they've actually had an independent evaluation conducted by Monash University at the same time. So they've actually kind of I don't know, confronted the methodological challenge I mentioned earlier. Um, but that's shown that integrating women with um, skills to engage with people in the security sector, building their confidence to discuss issues related to violent extremism, at the same time as empowering them through socio-economic initiatives, um, and at the same time as having what we would call maybe communications initiatives around the promotion of women's rights and issues to do with violent extremism. That seems to be better equipping um, women to deal with some of the complex challenges um, that they're seeing on the ground. Similarly, in Kenya, um, another UN Women Project um, brought together women with members of the security services and facilitated a dialogue, created a network, created trainings, uh, outreach into schools and with young people. And that approach seemed to increase the ability of women not only to kind of deal with the challenges that they were facing in their families or at the community level, but also to share information um, and to actually provide information about particular cases of individuals that they were concerned about.
0: And finally, how are effective PCVE strategies and interventions rolled out across governments?
1: I think probably one of the fields that gets the most attention is um, CVE communications, so STRATCOM's campaigns tend to be the go-to government method, Um, and in a way that's to be seen to be doing something, Um, and the evidence would suggest that actually campaigns which focus on counter-narratives, so simply countering um, the narratives coming out of a violent extremist group Don't actually work because actually, what they simply do is either affirm what the violent extremist group is saying or actually don't have much traction with those who are at risk of radicalization because their cognitive ability to actually um, be able to understand a counter viewpoint isn't necessarily there. Um, So, instead, we've talked about alternative narratives, so providing um, a convincing picture of. Um, you know, the situation in a country, opportunities, uh, community resilience, um, civic engagement, things like that might be more positive. I'm still not quite sure about that. I think, um, you know, there isn't significant evidence, but what it does seem to show is that the key thing is about the engagement. So approaches where you open up a conversation, where you have a dialogue, where you have the ability to express yourself, The process in and of itself is the thing that's important actually rather than necessarily the aim.
2: As professionals in all activities we are under pressure to be productive, innovative, reactive to create the best conditions for our companies, our employees, our customers, our countries we must learn how to negotiate and navigate in a complex world so we can reach our goals. I am Marc Finot and the course director for Diplomatic Tradecraft for Non-Diplomats. At the Geneva Center for Security Policy, we offer a platform where professionals can share knowledge and experience. We use innovative teaching tools and interactive methods towards a transformative journey. We can help you achieve your goal by giving you access to experienced diplomats who will share their professional tools that will be useful to you as practitioners in other areas of work. We have a plan to help you and your business learn from successes and failures of diplomats in order to elevate your positioning by applying successful diplomatic techniques and tradecraft in your activities. Come discover how diplomatic experience can help you.
0: Earlier, we spoke to a former NATO commander, General Hans Lothar Domrose, who shares his insights with us on the changing and evolving security environment. Firstly, what are the major challenges facing armed forces and militaries globally today?
3: Well, the major changes not only for the military for our societies as such I think is the fast-changing world currently as we see it and at the same time everything happens so it is digitalization it is uh, the uh, demographic change it is the change from Europe to Asia the nuclear race Africa, the refugees, so everything at the same time. And for the military, it means that the military has to uh, maintain the speed in order to cope with those changing challenges. I mean, in the old days, a Russian tank It took seven years to develop it and to bring it into action. Today, it takes twice as much. So I don't know exactly whether the contracts are complicated, whether the techniques are too complicated, or whether we are slower, mentally slower than the technical possibilities. So in order to maintain it, it is urgently required that you stay flexible. In other words, you've got to uh, adopt your structures and your procedures accordingly to the speed.
0: And how does it maintain the speed?
3: It has something to do with the media. It has has something to do with fake news. It has something to do with cyber, cyber defense, cyber action. So these are brand new methods of war fighting symbols. And also, it is not only the military. I mean, I'm not only talking about tanks, aircraft and ships. We are talking about these artificial things that simply happens within the society. And I think the military has learned that they have to work together with all these agencies in order to understand what's going on. First of all, the institution as this one here in Geneva, it is so important to understand what's going on first. Secondly, that we stay committed to our roots or let's say to our value and these values as a European and as a German in particular I would describe as the values of freedom. So there was this American Revolution, there was the French Revolution in 1789 which brought us freedom that means we have independence of law, very important. Government and ask yes, that they are independent secondly that we maintain freedom of speech and gathering the freedom of uh, free press is so important who else could control a government nobody so if we maintain those and if we treat each other respectfully then i do hope and i'm convinced that we can maintain sort of peace but in this world with is which is no longer bipolar or bipolar with Russia and America only. It has five centers right now. China comes on to Pakistan, India, Brazil and all the newer developments. It is so difficult for the politicians to keep these five fingers together. But I think uh, we can do and we have to convince people uh, from day to day that talking, uh, standing in for values is much better than shooting.
0: And what can we do about the fundamental change that we're seeing in peace and security? First of
3: all, stay agile, stay flexible, learn languages, go out and see the world, because we in Europe are no no longer the centre of gravity. The centre of gravity has changed, maybe into the Arab world, maybe into the Chinese world, maybe into Africa, but definitely it has gone from Europe to the ease, let's put it in a global way. Learn languages in order to better understand the people and to uh, to treat them respectfully and try to, to make the best cooperation as possible. In the end, we've got to uh, understand that um, we have to accept other Ways of doing things in the old days, where I was growing up, it was twenty-five percent of the world population was European. Today it is seven percent or less. Tomorrow it will be uh, by twenty thirty. It will be less than five percent. So, and five percent cannot dominate the world. I mean that is obvious. So we've got to see and learn with the others and to adapt our way to cooperate, but peacefully. I mean that is that is the key.
0: So in this sense, what is the advice you would give to young leaders of the 21st century?
3: Mainly, I would suggest here in Geneva, where there is the hometown of the United Nations institutions, so many at least, that we are still on the right path, as our parents and grandparents has taught us. I mean, we should not forget there were two ugly world wars in the world both starting in Germany. We had the ugly Nazi regime had killed more than five million Jewish people. So that is a way that we have learned that is no way to repeat it. It must not happen again. So we have learned our election and now we have to develop that the new danger is always coming. The devil is always calling and we must fight him and we stay on the right course, stay uh, vigilant and keep our and maintain our values.
0: That's all we have now for today's episode. Thank you to Emily Winterbotham for joining us along with General Hans Lothar Domrose. Listen to us again next week to hear all the latest insights on international peace and security. Bye for now.